Well, as I was preparing uh, my message this week, I realized that this is my final sermon for our English service. Um, next Sunday, Pastor Brandon is going to be uh, preaching, uh, giving a, a message for the beginning of the season of Advent. Um, I'll still be here, but, but Brandon will be preaching next Sunday. And then in two weeks, I'll be preaching my final sermon in a joint English and Chinese service, which means that I'll need to keep my sermon a lot shorter uh, because it will be translated into Chinese. And, uh, and so today is my last message to all of you, to my beloved English congregation, uh, English department here at 59th Street Church. Um, it's also the last sermon in the series that I've been preaching through over the course of this fall, 1 John, a letter of love. And uh, we've been looking throughout this fall at this letter that the Apostle John wrote to believers who he loved deeply and who he spoke about, about God's love and, and their love for one another. And as we're going to see in this final passage, the very end of of John's letter, John brings together a lot of the themes that we've seen in earlier in the letter. Um, and the way that, that John ends his letter is by emphasizing what he and his readers know to be true, what they know. Um, he wants them to know with confidence and assurance certain things, which he's already told them about even earlier in the letter, but he wants to emphasize them again here at the end of the letter so they would have confidence and assurance in what they know to be true. And so my sermon title today is What We Know. What We Know. We're going to look at what John says that he and his readers know to be true. And my prayer is that, that through this final message to all of you, my beloved congregation, 59th Street Church, that we too will be reminded of what we know. What we know to be true. Um, and so our text today is 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. So hear God's word to us today. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Lord, as we read these, these closing words from the Apostle John, 
the way that he ends this letter to, uh, to beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray that you would speak these words that you inspired John to write deep into our hearts as well, that we would know with confidence and assurance the things that John writes about here, that we would stay true to these things in our lives and our hearts, God. And so speak again today to us, Lord, of what we know because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today I want to look at at several things in these final verses, uh, which John points out that he and his readers know to be true. I often have three points, but I'm sorry, today is my last sermon to all of you, so I got six points for you today, all right? But they're short, okay? They're short points. Believe me, I I, I timed it out, okay? Um, But each and every one of these things that, that John writes, they also apply to us. They don't only apply to his readers, because what John says at the very beginning of, of this passage, in verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So if that's you, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, the name of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, then you also can know that these things are true of you in the same way that John writes to his readers. So the first thing that John says that we can know is that, number one, we know that we have eternal life. We can know that we have eternal life. Um, This is actually what John says is the the, the primary purpose of this whole letter. The the whole reason he's writing this to to these readers is, he says in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants them to know deep down with full assurance that they have eternal life. How can they know that? Well, it's because of what John actually said a couple verses earlier in the passage that we looked at last week. In verse 11, John says, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And so we can know that we have eternal life because God has given it to us. And he's given it to us in his son, Jesus Christ. So if we believe in the name of the son of God, if we believe in the name of Jesus, then guess what? We have that eternal life that Jesus has won for us. We can know that we have eternal life. When I was um, back in middle school, I went through a period of time in my life where, where I worried actually about whether or not I was saved. I, I, I lacked assurance of salvation. And I remember talking about this with my mom at one point, that I began to share with her that, that I was just, I was so worried whether I was really a Christian, whether I, I could know that I would go to heaven when I died. And my mom pointed me to this passage, to this verse, to 1 John 5, 13, again, that writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And what my mom told me was that, that, Andy, you can have confidence that you have eternal life because you believe in Jesus, because you're trusting in him. And, and, and that confidence didn't depend upon how strong my faith was, but simply in the fact that if I was looking to Jesus to save me for eternal life, then I could know that he would. I could have that confidence. And that conversation 
all those years ago, when I was back in middle school, it has stuck with me till today. Because I remember just so clearly in that conversation, what my mom did was she pointed me to God's word. She pointed me to God's promises. She pointed me to this particular promise that I could know I have eternal life because Jesus has secured it for me and he gives it to anyone who looks to him for it. And that promise gave me the assurance that I needed. And so brothers and sisters, you can know that you have eternal life. One day, each and every one of us is going to die. That's just a reality. None of us can escape it. And my prayer is that when you are on your deathbed, when you are about to take your final breath, you will have confidence that God will give you eternal life. That you can face that reality of death without fear, without worry, with, with full confidence that Jesus has died for you and he will bring you into eternal life. But here's the thing, we don't have to wait until our deathbed to experience eternal life. Because we can experience this life, this abundant life that God has for us each and every day. We can experience a life that is filled with a peace that passes all understanding. We can experience freedom from guilt and shame. We can experience joy in the Lord that doesn't depend upon our circumstances. We can experience a life that is filled with meaning and purpose as we join in God's mission to share that good news with others. And all of that, it's ours. You can know that it's yours because of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, know that you have eternal life. And the next thing that John says that we can know is that number two, we know that God hears our prayers. We see this in, in the very next verse, verse 14, where John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So because Jesus has opened up the way for us to approach God directly with our prayers, we can know that he hears us. That if we ask for anything according to his will, he will give us what we ask. And that's important to see that, right? That we ask according to his will. We're submitting our desires to his will in prayer, but we can know that he hears us and that he will answer our prayers according to his will. In our scripture reading that, that Stanley read earlier from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22, some selections from those verses say this, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. In the Old Testament, the on, only the high priest could enter into the, the most holy place in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And he could only do it one day out of the whole year on the day of atonement. But now what, what, what Hebrews says is that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, each and every one of us can enter into the most holy place whenever we want to. That we can enter in with confidence into God's presence. That is what the most holy place was. And so he says that we can draw near to God with full assurance of faith. You know, one of the things that I have loved about these 10 years of ministry here in our church has been the opportunity 
to pray together, to pray with, with many of you. Uh, back in the fall of 2016, we started a Sunday morning prayer meeting before our worship service that we, we gathered before our service for, for about a year um, on Sunday mornings to pray together. And then we shifted it about a year later down in, into Wednesday evening uh, to a weekly prayer meeting every Wednesday night. And, and then when everything closed down because of COVID in March of 2020, we moved that prayer meeting onto Zoom. And we have continued to meet every week. Now we meet on Tuesdays on Zoom. But one of the things that, 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 as I think back on all of those prayer meetings, that weekly prayer meeting, week after week, over the last five years, I'm struck by two things. The first thing is that every week, I end that time of prayer with a deep sense that we have just been in the presence of God, that we've been with him, and, and that we've experienced this, this deep kind of communion with each other and with God as we prayed together. And the second thing that I've been struck with is how many prayers God has answered over those five years as we prayed for healing for people, as we prayed for God to bring comfort to people who are grieving, as we've prayed for God to provide for the needs of our church, as we prayed for, for various ministries of our church, to bless, for God to bless those ministries. And, and we've seen God answer prayer after prayer after prayer according to his will. And so as we, together, that group of us who have prayed week after week and prayed according to God's will, we've seen God accomplish his will through our prayers. And there's a lot of mystery in that, in how God actually works through our prayers. But John says, this is something that we can know. That when we go to our God in prayer, he hears us and he accomplishes his will through our prayers. And so for, for, for you, brothers and sisters, know that, that, that there is an invitation to something powerful in prayer. As you continue to gather in prayer week after week, as you pray in your own lives, you pray in your families, this is one of God's promises to us that we know that God hears our prayers. Now, the next thing that, that we know, according to John, is number three, we know that our sin will not lead to death. Now, in verses 16 and 17 in this passage, John brings up this distinction between a sin that leads to death and a sin that does not lead to death. And this, you know, it's the last passage in the book, but there's a lot of controversy a little bit about this particular distinction that John makes here. There have been all kinds of different interpretations of, of what John is talking about here. What is the sin that leads to death? What is the sin that doesn't lead to death? Um, in fact, the concept of the seven deadly sins, that it actually comes from this verse, that this idea that there are certain, certain sins that are, that are mortal or deadly, and there are other sins that are venial or forgivable. That's something that the Catholic Church kind of um, focuses on, teaches on. But here's the thing. When we look at the broader scope of Scripture, it's clear that God does not make that kind of distinction about sin. He doesn't say that there are certain sins that are, are deadly and there are other sins that are not. No, actually, the Bible is very clear that all sin is deadly. In, in Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Paul does not say, for the wages of some kinds of sin is death. No, every sin is a sin against God's perfect law. Every sin is deserving of death. 
as its penalty. But Jesus has taken that penalty for us on the cross. He received the wage of sin that we deserve when he died in our place. So, so what is it that determines whether a sin leads to death or whether a sin does not lead to death? The only thing that determines that is whether or not that sin has been confessed to God and God has forgiven it. Does that make sense? If we have confessed that sin to God and, and he's forgiven it, then it won't lead to death. If we have not confessed our sin, we've not received God's forgiveness, then it will. It will lead to death. John warns this. If we refuse to acknowledge our sin by justifying it, by excusing it, if we, if we say, I don't need your forgiveness, God, then we are in danger of that sin leading to death, to eternal death, to separation from God. And so this is what John says kind of in these verses. In, in verse 16, John says, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. So if we know that a Christian brother or sister has committed a sin, John says we should pray for them. We should pray that God would forgive them. And we can know that if that person confesses that sin to God, then guess what? It's a sin that does not lead to death because they've confessed it to the Lord. And so John says, you can know that that person, God will give them life. But John warns, there is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. So he warns here that if someone is unrepentant and refuses to forgive God's, receive God's forgiveness, then John warns their sin will lead to death. And basically John says, in that situation, there's really no point in asking God to give forgiveness to someone who is refusing God's forgiveness. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still pray that God would open up that person's eyes to their sin, that God would lead them to repentance, that, that, if they, that God would lead them to confess their sins so that their sin would no longer lead to death. But what John is focusing on here is he says, I want you specifically to pray for the brother and sister who has sinned and who has confessed their sin that they would know that their sin will not lead to death. That they would know that their sin will lead to life. He's wanting to give assurance to that believer who does confess their sin. And so, Brothers and sisters, that's something that we can know too. That we can know that our sin will not lead to death when we confess it. We saw that earlier in the, in the, in the letter, right? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can know that. If we do that, our sin will not lead to death. Now the next verses, verses 18 to 20, John rattles off three more things which is why I couldn't just stop here at point number three. I'm sorry about that. But I had to give you the last three, okay? But they're, they're quick. But here's what, what John says next. He says, number four, that we also know that God will keep us from sin. That God will keep us from sin. Although John has just talked about praying for a fellow believer who has sinned, so he acknowledges believers will sin. He then says in verse 18, we know that... It, Anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. 
If you remember, this is actually a very, very same point that John made earlier in chapter 3. Um, when he emphasized that anyone born of God will not continue in sin in the same way that we were before we were born of God. Um, I'm not going to go over that whole thing again today. And so if you want a refresher on this point, go back and listen to my sermon from October 17th that was titled The Seriousness of Sin. And I'll give it all to you there, okay? So if you haven't listened to that sermon, go and listen to it because that's where John really unpacks this whole idea of this idea that, that we who are believers in Christ, we will not continue to sin in the same way as, as we, we would. But the, the, the thing that I want to just emphasize for you here today is that what John is emphasizing here is that we can know that God will help us to resist sin and to resist the temptations of the evil one. That that's another thing we can know, that God will help us keep us from sin. Um, as we saw back in chapter 14, chapter, sorry, chapter 4, John said, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God, who's in you, is greater than Satan, who's in the world. And so if we are born of God, then Satan has no power over us. He cannot ultimately harm us, as, as John says here. And God will empower us to resist sin and to obey him. So you can know that God will help you, help keep you from sin. And then the next thing, number five, that John says, is that we know that we are children of God. We see that in verse 19, which says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So John makes this, this, this distinction that we saw again earlier in the letter says that there is an evil one in our world, Satan. And he has much influence in our world. And he says that those who are of the world, who are not children of God, they are under Satan's control. But John says, not you. You are children of God. And therefore, we are not under the evil one's control. And throughout this letter, John has continually emphasized to his readers that we are children of God. Back in chapter 3, verse 1, he proclaims how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Brothers and sisters, you are children of God. We are children of God. The reason that I can call you brothers and sisters is because we are all children of God that we've been adopted into his family, and that that is our primary identity. During these past 10 years, while Rochelle and I have, have lived here in Brooklyn, we have lived far away from our biological families, from Rochelle's parents in California, from my parents in Minnesota, from my biological brothers and sisters who are scattered all over the place in California, Minnesota, and Connecticut now, and Ecuador. But during these 10 years, we've had a family. You have been our family. You have been our brothers and sisters. You have been aunts and uncles to our kids. And even though we are moving to California, guess what? You're going to continue to be our family, whether you like it or not, because you are 
children of God, along with us. We're all part of the same family, God's family. We are children of God. And so no matter your situation, maybe you have lost a parent or, or both of your parents, or maybe you are estranged from a parent, or maybe you live far from your parents, your family. No matter what your relationship may be with your earthly parents, you have a heavenly father who loves you with a perfect love. And he is so proud of you. He smiles upon you. And he says to you in the same way that he said to Jesus in Jesus' baptism, look, here's my son. Here's my daughter whom I love. I am so pleased with him. I am so pleased with her. Because of Jesus, we can know that we are children of God. And the final thing that John says that we can know in this passage is number six, that we know the gospel. The reason for all these previous five things, the only reason that those five things are true is because of the gospel. The reason why we can have eternal life, why God hears our prayers, why our sin will not lead to death, why God will keep us from sin, and why we are children of God, it is all because of the gospel, of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me in his life and his death and his resurrection. And that's what John says in verse 20. He says, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. I was counting this past week how many sermons I've preached for all of you over these 10 years. It's over 400 sermons. I think I got 417 when I counted. I've preached from the Old Testament. I've preached from the Gospels. I've preached from the Epistles. And in every one of those sermons, my, hope, my heart and my hope is that I have pointed you to Jesus. I've tried to point to him and to the gospel because everything flows from there. Everything flows from the gospel. Everything flows from Jesus. And there's one thing that I hope will stay with you from those 417 sermons that I've preached over these 10 years. It's this, that you would know him who is true and that you are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ, as John says here. That is my prayer 
because that is ultimately what matters. That's ultimately what matters. To know Jesus Christ and to be found in him. Because everything else flows from there. John ends this letter in a really interesting way. The final verse, he just says this, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And it's kind of a, maybe a weird way to end this letter. Right? It, it, it feels a little bit jarring in some ways because John hasn't actually even talked about idols at all in this whole letter. This is the first time that he even brings up the concept of, of idols. And remember, John is writing in a culture where there were literal idols, literal statues of false gods all over the place, all over the Roman Empire. So why would he bring up idols in this very last verse of his letter and then just end it? Well, what John knew is that an idol can be anything that we worship above God. That it can be anything that could draw us away from centering our lives in the gospel, in Jesus. And so as John reminds his readers of what they know, he gives this final command where he says, keep yourselves from idols. In other words, don't forget what you know. Don't forsake what you know. Don't let anything pull you away from the gospel and apart from the centrality of Jesus Christ. Keep yourselves from idols. Ten years ago, this congregation took a risk and called this 31-year-old at the time, young man, who had never served as a lead pastor before, to be your pastor, to preach the gospel, to teach the word of God, to care for the spiritual needs of you, your flock. And I accepted that call not knowing fully what I was getting myself into. <laughs> but over these 10 years, you all have shaped me into a pastor. And I have grown to love you as the flock that God entrusted me into my care for the time being. Ultimately, it's in his care. But he called me here to, to be your shepherd for these 10 years. And I know that I have not shepherded you perfectly because there's only one shepherd who is perfect. But I can say without hesitation that I love you. I love you, 59th Street Church. I love each and every one of you. And the thing that I long for each of you most is that you would continue in what you know to be true. That you would keep yourselves from idols. Don't get distracted from all the things in this world that will grab for your attention, that will grab to say this is the most important thing that you need to build your life upon. Don't get distracted by those things. There are so many things that would pull you away from the gospel, 
whether that is money or fame or politics or your career or worry or addiction or doubt or bitterness or apathy or fear, do not forget, do not forsake what you know and who you know. Keep first things first. Stay grounded in the gospel. And I know that Pastor Brandon, as he takes the baton from me, that he will do that for you. That he will point you to Jesus too. That he will point you to the gospel and do that for each other. Don't let each other get distracted. Stay centered on Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you know the gospel. I've told it to you 417 times over this last 10 years. So you know it. You know what Jesus has done for you. You know Jesus, and even more importantly, Jesus knows you. And so cling to him, rest in him, center your life in him, for he knows you, he loves you, he has saved you, and as John says, he is the true God, and he is eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, in many ways, you, you make what we need to know so simple. To know that you, Father, sent your Son, Jesus, into this world to die for us, to pay for our sin, so that we could have eternal life. Lord, help us to embrace that truth over and over and over again in our lives, that we would not forget it, that we would not get distracted by other things that will pull for our attention, that we would stay centered upon you, Jesus, and proclaiming Jesus and him crucified. And Lord, I pray for this congregation, for 59th Street Church, for each individual who is gathered here for each individual who is gathered online, for each one who will hear this message recorded later on, that each one of these brothers and sisters would know to their core these truths, that because of the gospel, that all these things are true for them, and that they would rest in it, and that they would rejoice in it, and that they would sing of these things, Lord. And that's what we're going to do in, in just a moment. We're going to sing of the blessed assurance that we can have because of Jesus. We will sing that this is my story, this is my song. And so as we sing that hymn of response, let it be our prayer, let it be our song, that this is what we know because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.